0: (laughs) Thank you Good morning, Mr. and Mrs. Freeman Mr. and Mrs. President Rich Faculty, students, and high school students at Central Christian That's awesome that you're here What a joy to be a part of this You know, we live in a time where truth itself is under attack. You know, in the 1960s, there was an iconic cover of Time magazine. And the cover, maybe you've seen it in black with red letters, said, Is God Dead? Coming out of the Holocaust, people thought, With all of this horror, how can there possibly be a good and loving God? Fast forward to last week in time, you know what the cover was? Same black background, red letters, but the title was, Is Truth Dead? Not only are people questioning God, people are now questioning the existence and the importance of truth. So since that's our topic for this morning, I figured we'd start with a verse that I know you know. John fourteen six. Jesus said, I am one of the ways, one of the truths, and one possible life. If you want to come to the mother or the father through me, that's cool. I'm not going to judge. Live however you want, and that's good with me. Jesus didn't say that, did he? You know there's at least a hundred verses in the New Testament alone in which it is claimed that Jesus is the only way to get to God. That's politically incorrect. But Jesus seemed to think that truth and what you believe about it matters. So you ever stopped, given that you're students, whether high school or college, have you ever stopped and thought, why do I care about truth? You ever really thought for a moment, why is truth actually that important? I was speaking not too long ago, and afterwards, a student came up to me, he goes, Dr. McDowell, you were talking about truth the whole time. Why is truth important? Who cares? I said, well, do you want the true answer or the false answer? Ironically, the cover of time says, is truth dead? Whether you say yes or no, it assumes that truth matters. You can't escape it. We can hide from it. We can try to avoid it, but we cannot escape the importance of truth. In fact, the apostle Paul wrote, he said, with all the deception of wickedness, for those who perish because they did not receive the love of truth so as to be saved. Do you love truth? Even when it's inconvenient, even when it's costly, do you love and seek and follow truth? Well, I'm gonna give you three reasons why, as we start off in particular, I think truth is so important. Number one is because truth has consequences. You ever thought about that? Truth has consequences. My uncle is a pastor up in Massachusetts. And he was sharing a story with me about a distant cousin of mine who I never met. This cousin, he was deaf, and he would go walking on the railroad tracks behind where he lived in the, in the woods in that part of Massachusetts. And he would walk at a certain time because the train came regularly every day at that time, but it never occurred to him that they would change the time that the train would come. So he went out there with false beliefs about reality. The train came from behind, couldn't hear the warning, couldn't stop in time, hit him, and actually killed my distant cousin because he had false views about truth. Friends, truth have consequences. If you woke up this morning and said, I can't wait to go to the Freeman lectures that start at 11 (laughs) o'clock. Consequences. Every day we make big and small decisions based on what we think is true, and if we miss it, there's consequences. Consequences. That's why Hosea the minor prophet said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. But there's another reason why truth matters. In fact, I want everybody in here, even up in the cheap seats, to close, just kidding. Close your eyes, close your eyes, and with your eyes closed, point the direction you think is north. Your eyes are closed, you've got to pick, keep your hands pointed, and open up your eyes. Interesting. We've got somebody pointing pretty much every direction, including somebody pointing up. North is not. (laughs) Every single time somebody does this. That's funny. Now, if you're trying to get up to Canada and you're confused about north, you're going to have some consequences, right? But what might you have that would help you know what direction north is? A compass or somebody said a smartphone, right? The app on your smartphone. Now it's there too. You see, truth is like a compass, For life. When we know what is true, we know what direction we should go. That's why truth is so powerful. Truth enables us to align our life with reality. That's what truth does. So, listen. I'm pretty decent with technology. I know some of you are more savvy than I am, but have you ever talked with those nice folks from India that answer questions about, like, Internet and stuff? I had trouble, so I called up, got this fellow on the phone. He helped me out. I was about to hang up. I said, your job all day is to answer questions, right? He said, yes. I said, can I ask you, what are the stupidest questions anybody's ever asked you about a computer? I'm sure you have some teachers, maybe so in high school, that tell you there's no such thing as a stupid question, That's a lie. (laughs) He said, okay, I'll give you a few. He said, I had a lady call up. She was upset. She was confused. He's like, calm down, man. What's the matter? She said, well, my foot pedal doesn't work. Any guesses? Well, yeah, she thought like in a sewing machine, you have a foot pedal. She thought the mouse went under (laughs) and she's like, how does this foot pedal work? And he said, I had a fellow call up, same thing, he goes, I'm frustrated, I need to exchange my computer. He goes, well, why would you want to do that? He goes, my cup holder's not big enough. CD-ROM or DVD-ROM drive, he thought was like a cup holder. (laughs) And then this last one actually happened to somebody I know that I love and care about. I can't tell you who it is, because I would never want to embarrass the woman who birthed me. (laughs) My mom gave me permission to share this. Well, my mom is the kind of person who, like any technology now she follows me on Instagram and Twitter like she's come a long ways but she got a new computer and she was setting up her own email account and one of the first instructions that came up on the screen said close all the windows <laughs> my mom my flesh and blood got up from her chair walked around the house and closed all the windows in the house Now, you're chuckling because you obviously get the joke of uh, not a foot pedal. A mouse is not designed to be a foot pedal. A DVD-ROM drive, if you still have one of those, doesn't hold a mug. And when it says close the windows, it doesn't mean the window's in your house. You see, a computer has been designed by somebody very smart to function a certain way. And when we don't know the truth about it, what happens? Confusion, frustration, and embarrassment. But if you ask somebody that knows or pull out the instruction manual, then we learn the truth. We're free to use it according to its design. You see, this is why truth is so powerful. Because truth is a compass for life. Truth actually sets us free. That's why Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Satan is the father of lies. Jesus is the truth. You see, I think people ask me sometimes, what do you think is the greatest lie challenging this generation? I think it's this. I think that we in our culture today tend to believe that freedom is doing whatever you feel like, whatever you think is true for you. Friends, that's not freedom. True freedom is orienting our lives with God's design. It's truth that sets us free. That's why in the Bible, you know, you ever notice the first thing we learn about the character of God in the beginning. God, what created Created. the first attribute we're told about God is that God is a creator, not that he's loving, just, holy, patient. God is a creator. Why? If something is created, there's a design for it. There's a truth about it and there's a way it's supposed to be. So there's a truth for family. There's a truth for marriage. There's a truth for sex. There's a truth about work. It's only when we know that truth and orient our lives accordingly that we're actually set free. So truth has consequences, but second, truth is like a compass that when we know it, it tells us how to live. There's a third reason why, and it's because believing is not enough. We kind of live in ages, says, as long as you believe something, it's true for you. Even if it doesn't match biology, even if it doesn't match science, even if it doesn't match the facts, if you believe it, since you're the authority, it's your truth. And who am I to judge you and say that you're wrong? Friends, here's the reality. Truth is disgustingly indifferent to what we believe about it. Take this reasoning to its conclusion. Do we really live in a world where our beliefs change reality? Do you know how many times I believed I was 6'10 and in the NBA? (laughs) I'm only (laughs) 6'9 on this stage. And I know when he said a basketball player, you're like, oh, wait a minute. That guy is 5'9 and white, and he played hoops? Yeah, that proves one thing. There must be a God. (laughs) Friends, I believe there's a million dollars in my wallet. Reality doesn't change because I believe it. Even if I did, my state of California would take half of it anyways. (laughs) Friends, nothing is true because we believe it. But because truth has consequences, and because truth is like a compass for life, hopefully our beliefs match up with reality. If we just stop for a minute and think, we realize that all of us care and try to orient our lives around truth. Now, sometimes we'll suppress it. But deep in our hearts, we know that truth is important. We know that a part of being human. But I want to ask you a different question. What is truth? We realize truth is important, but what is it? Now, I won't do this, but I wonder if we went around the room, how many of you could give me a thoughtful, careful definition of truth? One thing my dad taught me is the power of words. Can you define what love is? Guys and girls. But girls, if you can't define love, how do you really know if somebody is loving you or not? Can you define justice? Purity. Everyone says, be pure. Well, what is purity? Well, the same is true with truth. If you can't define it, how do you really know you're following truth? Well, I'm going to give you a definition. In some ways, it's simple and counterintuitive. But if you take the time to follow with me, this will serve you well. And it's simply something philosophers call the correspondence theory of truth. And the idea is that a statement is true if it matches up with reality. So you really have three things. You have a statement or a belief or an idea. You have reality and you have a correspondence between them. If your belief matches reality, it's true. So truth is telling it like it is. False is telling it like it isn't. That's essentially what we mean by truth. So If I tell you that I got here from Southern California, it only took me like 12 hours. And I drove. You know why? Because I drove in my new red Lamborghini. And you walk outside, and you see this. My statement just might be what? Okay, humor me. I don't have a Lamborghini. (laughs) Just humor me. You walk outside, my statement would be what? It'd be true. If you walk outside and see this, my statement would be what? False. False. Why? Yellow. Because I described it as red. In reality, it's yellow. If you walk outside and see what I really drive, which is this, <laughs> why are you laughing? <laughs> the other day, I was speaking to junior hires making this point, and an eighth grader goes, Ah, ha, ha, you drive a Ford. I said, What do you drive? <laughs> Man, kids these days. <laughs> My statement would be really false if I said i drive a Lamborghini and it's a 2008 Ford Fusion. See, because my belief doesn't match up with reality. Now, I like superheroes. I have a Superman ring and I actually have Superman socks on. Although Spider-Man is my favorite for reasons I'll tell you if you ask me separately. I actually play this with my kids. My kids like superheroes. They're 12, 9, and 4. See, you take a word or description. You take the object... And if there's a correspondence between them, you have truth. That is Wolverine. That is Batman. And that is Spider-Man. If your beliefs match up and correspond, they're true. Is that smoke coming up? No, I'm just kidding. What did you do when I said that? Some of you thought of a classmate you know that might be back there. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Oops, sorry. That one hit home. (laughs) You turned and you looked in the back, right? Many of you kind of turned with worry to check it out. Now, since there is, don't worry. There's no smoke coming for whatever reason that might be. My statement was what? It was false. If there really was smoke coming under the door, my statement would have been true. You see how this works? We make a statement, we hold beliefs, we have ideas, and then we go check to see if the world is the way we describe it. If it is, it's true. If it's not, it's false. That's what we mean by truth. At this stage, unless you've taken this in apologetics class, you're probably thinking, oh, that's actually kind of common sense. Maybe I hadn't thought about this specific definition, but that's how we use truth. And you're right. The Bible doesn't define truth this way. It assumes it. When the ninth commandment says do not lie, it means don't intentionally misrepresent the truth, which is that which matches up to reality. Everybody uses this definition of truth. You can't not use it. But here's the catch. As soon as topic shifts to either moral values or religion, people will change what they mean by truth itself. Let me say that again. Everybody assumes the correspondence theory of truth, whether they can define it or not. But as soon as the topic is about morality or ethics, or it comes to religious topics, many people, whether they realize it or not, will shift what they mean by truth. So let me take a step back and explain two ways that we look at truth that I think will help bring some clarity on this. So let me let me start by asking this. What would you say is the best flavor of ice cream? Anyone? Lemon ice cream? <laughs> Alright, I know this is Kansas, but you know, you got it. Cookie dough, with chocolate, I heard. Cookies and cream. I haven't heard the right answer yet. Let me just save us some time. I'm gonna tell you what the best flavor of ice cream is. The best flavor of ice cream. Well, it got like quiet. Now they're really interested. They want to know. The best flavor of ice cream is chocolate peanut butter. There's a the fan. Show hands. Who says that is true? Let me see your hands. Best flavor of chocolate peanut butter ice cream. Who says that is false? Okay. Do you realize the conundrum we find ourselves in? The statement... Chocolate peanut butter ice cream is best, can be true for me and not true for some of you? How could a statement be both true and false at the same time, at the same time in the same place? And the answer is because we're talking about something we call subjective. Subjective claims are personal, they're private, and they can change. Subjective claims, the truth status of it depends upon the individual internally believing something. If you believe that, it's true for you, but maybe not true for me. So within subjective, what's the key word within subjective? Okay, this is the participatory part of the program. What's the key word? Subject. Subject, the individual or the person believing something makes it true for him or true for her. So when you think of subjective, I want you to think of ice cream because ice cream flavor preference is subjective and it depends upon the beliefs of the subject. Now, what if I said chocolate peanut butter ice cream controls diabetes? Usually I get an amen. There's clearly no Baptist here. Now is that the same kind of claim. This is not a preference opinion claim. Now we're making a claim about the real world that my beliefs can't change. See, now I'm making a claim that's objective. See, objective truths are facts of the external world that we discover. Our beliefs don't change them. Our beliefs hopefully match up with them our beliefs don't change them they're not matters of opinions they're not preferences now the key word in objective is what object the world in itself outside of my thinking is what makes something true or false if you have a belief about it so imagine for example that i have a a bowl of ice cream and i say this ice cream since it's chocolate peanut butter is delicious is that a claim about the ice cream or really about me That's about my experience and preferences related to the ice cream. What if I say this ice cream weighs a quarter of a pound? What's that about? That's about the ice cream itself, not my preferences. So when you think of objective, I want you to think of insulin because insulin actually helps control diabetes. Now I'm going to ask you to participate here with me. And I'm gonna do something in a second. I'm gonna throw something up on, a few things up on the screen. And I want you to shout out, and I mean you can shout it out, one of two things. If it's a subjective claim, I want you to shout out ice cream. If it's an objective claim, I'm gonna ask you to shout out insulin. Alright, so let me preface this. I'm not asking if these claims are true or false. I'm simply asking, What kind of claim is it? If it's an objective claim, insulin, subjective claim, ice cream. All right, here we go. Coke tastes better than Pepsi. Ice cream. Ice cream, good. That's a preference claim. Diet Coke has fewer calories than regular Coke. Okay, insulin. Now we're talking about the Coke itself and properties the object has, not my opinion of it. That's insulin, good. George Washington was the first president of the United States. Insulin. Okay, now can we see this the way we could allegedly see smoke coming up from the back? No, this is not something you can see physically. In fact, in what class would you study this? History class. Yet we still know that there's a truth about this outside of our thinking that we discover. Our beliefs can't change that. So you told me that historical claims are like insulin. Okay, how about this one? Hawaii is the most beautiful vacation spot on earth. Ice cream. cream. Okay, good. We all know it's Southern California. (laughs) That is it. And you can agree with that since you went to school there. All right. Action movies are more enjoyable than romances. Ice Ice cream. Okay, that's a preference. You might even say, you know what? I don't even like action or romance. I like sports movies, whatever. Preference claim. Good. How about this one? Sean McDowell can bench press 300 pounds. Well, I heard a mix on that one. Okay. How many of you said ice cream? Let me see your hands. How many of you said insulin? How many of you say, after this past election season, I will never vote again? Okay. All right. Now, think about this for a second. Do you know the answer to that question? No, you don't. You might think you do, but you don't know the answer to that question. But here's the more important question. To answer whether that is ice cream or insulin, do you need to know the answer to the question or statement? No, you don't. Because this is still about the object. In this case, it's me. And there's a truth or false reality of whether I can do it or not that your beliefs don't change. Now, we could test this. I could take my jacket off, cut off my sleeves, throw some 45s, and see if I can bench press it. Your beliefs won't change that. Either I can or I can't. So there can be objective claims for which we don't know the answer. For example, if I said there's 50 quadrillion, zillion, zillion, zillion atoms in the universe. Now, that's an objective claim, isn't it? There is a specific number of atoms in the universe. We don't know what it is. We'll probably never know at the side of heaven. But there's a truth about that in the object name of the universe outside of our beliefs. So there can be objective claims for which we don't know the answer to it. So our lack of knowing doesn't make it shift from insulin to ice cream. All right, let's try another one. Earth is the center of the solar system. I heard a little mix on this one. Now, is this a historical claim? This is a historical claim? What kind of claim is this? Now, this is a scientific claim. What's the object? The object is the earth. Now, is this claim true or false? It's false, but it's still an objective claim. It's about reality, but it's a false description of reality. So if I said 2 plus 2 equals 5, that's an objective claim that is false. Even in California, it's false. <laughs> so there can be objective claims that are dealing with reality, but those claims don't accurately describe reality. So that's an objective claim. All right, I want, I want everybody to vote on this one. You ready? Ice cream or insulin, as loud as you can. Abortion is wrong. That guy sounded like he wanted some ice cream. <laughs> Please, ice cream. <laughs> now, that seemed kind of mixed to me. Who says ice cream? Let me see your hands. Throw it up. Who says ice cream? That's a claim. Who says insulin? All right, maybe 50-50. Now, is, this is not a scientific claim, although science may bear on it. This is not a historical claim, although the historical aspect is interesting related to it. This is a claim of moral values is morality like ice cream it's a matter of preference or is morality more like math and science and history that deals with an objective truth outside of us not too long ago i was in a conversation with a with a fellow about the topic of abortion and he said if you don't like abortion don't have one i said i'm really sorry to point out the obvious but i can't Notice what he was doing. He was saying the topic of abortion, it's a matter of preference. If you don't like abortion, don't have one. If you don't like chicken, get the fish. If you don't like coffee, get tea. If you don't like chocolate cake, get lemon ice cream. (laughs) It's a matter of preference. So I looked at him. I said, I have a question for you. Are you against slavery? He said, yes. I said, if you don't like slavery, then don't own a slave. Now, are we against slavery because we don't like it? No. We're going to enslave you because we know it's objectively wrong to enslave and abuse and mistreat a human being based on something secondary such as skin color. Stop and think about it. Think about it. If all morality is subjective, could you ever judge anybody for doing anything morally wrong? No. No. Who were you to judge Bashar Assad, the head of the regime in Syria, for using chemical weapons against families and kids and infants? If morality is like ice cream, if you've seen those videos, as I have on the news, and paused and felt a tear coming to my eye because of it, and you're a relativist, you'd have to say there's nothing wrong with that. Who were you to judge them and tell them that it's wrong? Were you to judge the shooter recently, in, in, or not the shooter, the driver in London who took his car, rammed over, killed a bunch of people, harmed others, if morality is like ice cream? See, I think we're told in our culture, that's your opinion. Don't force your moral opinion upon me. That's your moral truth. I have a different moral truth. But the reality is nobody's actually a relativist. We have a knee-jerk reaction, but no one's really a relativist. People might be relative about your beliefs, but they will not be relativist about their own. How do I know that no one's really a relativist? Well, number one, this is what the Word of God teaches. (laughs) Romans chapter 2, Paul says, Even people without the law do what the law requires, or at least know it, because why? It's written on their hearts. It's written on their consciences. Part of being human is, yes, we know truth is important and we just know there's a right and wrong. We know it. My dad said to me one time, he said, son, you know what someone believes about morality? Not by what they say, not by what they do, but by how they want to be treated. Everybody wants to be treated as if promise keeping and faithfulness and justice and fairness are objective features of the universe. I tell my students, I teach at Biola, but I actually teach at a Christian school part-time in a Bible class. I tell my students, I say, if someone tells you there's no such thing as objective morality, cut in front of them in line. C.S. <laughs> Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, as soon as somebody says there's no such thing as objective morality, give them enough time and they'll contradict themselves. So about five or six years ago... In the town in which I was teaching full-time at that time at a Christian school, this free-thinking atheist club arose at the public school two miles down the road. And my students were like, did you hear about this? What do we do? And I said, what if we have a public debate? Three of our Christian students, three of theirs. And I moderated it in our church. And like this, it was full. They debated the historical Jesus. They debated intelligent design. And they debated morality. One of my students got up there and said, there is an objective moral law. We all know that fairness and justice are real. Therefore, there must be an objective moral law giver, namely God. Morality points to God. One of their students got up there and said, there is no objective moral law. Morality is like ice cream. It's a matter of preference. It's opinion. There's no standard by which you can judge anybody else. You just live according to your beliefs. Morality is subjective. He sits down. Then it was time for the closing speech. Normally in closing speech in a debate, you come up and describe why you think you won the debate and the other side is wrong. Well, this student comes up who had just said morality is subjective. Used the opportunity of being at church. This kid was an agnostic. And he walks up there and he says this. He says, you know what? You Christians, you are such bigots. You're hateful. You're intolerant. You're homophobic. Shame on you for being so hateful. And he sits down. Do you notice the irony? Anybody pick up on it? There's no morality. It's all subjective. But shame on you Christians for violating every objective moral norm you should have known differently. Shame on you. Now, I couldn't say anything. I was a moderator. I was trying to send ESP waves to my students. Like, ah! You should have. They should have stood up there and said, you just made our point. You said there's no objective morality. Then you objectively condemned us for violating moral norms. I win. Thanks for coming to the debate. And then you sit down. And maybe you say it more graciously than that, but you get the point. Or definitely say it more graciously than that. Friends, do atheists believe in right and wrong? Of course. I think the atheist worldview denies objective morality. But atheists are still made in the image of the very God that they reject. And know that there's a right and wrong. It's written on their hearts. So what really is the question related to abortion? I want you to imagine something with you. Imagine that you are at home. And your back is turned and you're doing the dishes. Now for some of you, this takes a lot of imagination. (laughs) You're in the dishes. Younger brother, younger sister comes walking in. while you can't see. He says, hey, big sister, big brother. Can I kill this? Before saying yes or no, what would you ask back? What is it? If you turn around, to a cockroach, you'd say yes. If you turn around, to a cat, you'd say hurry up. Okay. <laughs> Just for the record, I'm a hundred percent kidding. Do not harm animals. It was a cheap joke at the expense of cats. I'll own it. If you turn around and it's a bunny, you'd say, why do you want to harm a bunny? Like, that's cute. If you turn around and your five-year-old brother and sister goes, I pulled this infant out of a carriage. Can I kill this? You'd go, whoa, time out. The answer is no. And even though you're five, you need counseling (laughs) to think that you should harm a kid like that. So what's the principle? How we treat something depends upon what it is. If the unborn is not a human being, no justification is necessary. If it is a human being, What justification is adequate? Friends, you and I know when we reflect upon it that morality is objective. We know it and we live that way. By the way, if morality was subjective, what would that do to the gospel? Why would Jesus have to die? So come back with me here for a second. Three more quick ones. Ice cream or insulin. Jesus was a carpenter. Insulin. Jesus died on the cross in 8030. Insulin. Some argue 29, some 33, but that's still an insulin claim. You ready? Ice cream, insulin. Jesus rose from the grave proving he is God. Insulin, okay, good. This is kind of a historical claim, but it ends with a theological claim. Are theological, religious claims matters of preference like ice cream, or do they deal with insulin, the objective real world? Let me take a step back and clarify something so we're on the same page. I hope we all realize that nobody dies and goes to hell just for not believing in Jesus. You know that, right? Nobody goes to the horrible place the Bible describes as hell just for not believing in Jesus. According to the scriptures, people go to hell because of a rebellion against their creator because of a moral virus we call sin. And to say that Buddha or Krishna or Mohammed or any other religious figure can forgive my sins is like saying chocolate peanut butter ice cream controls diabetes. It doesn't work in the real world. Why is Jesus the only way? Because he's the only one who fixed the problem that separated us from God. If you run out of gas and your car's not working, it doesn't do any good to clean the carburetor, get new tires, and change the spark plugs. If the problem is you're out of gas, you have to identify it and fix the problem. The problem is there is an objective standard of morality rooted in God's character. And because God is holy, our sinfulness separates us from God. And it takes somebody who's God in human flesh to live a sinful life to fix that problem. God doesn't look down and go, you know what? I like the Christian club. Yeah, I'm not too fond of the Muslims. I'm only going to let Christians into heaven. That misses the point. Jesus is the only way because he's the only one who fixed the problem that separates us from God. You see, one thing, I went through a period of questioning. This is a whole separate story. When I was your age in college, a real period of questioning. Do I really believe this? I grew up in a Christian home. How do I know if is true? What's the evidence? What if I was raised in a different faith? And one thing that really hit home on me is that Christianity is uniquely based on testable historical events that are a part of reality. It is. I mean, Christianity is not the kind of thing that can be true for you but not true for you. It's rooted in objective history. I mean, if you were there with Jesus on the cross, you could reach out, touch the cross, and got a splinter on your hand. If you were there at the tomb that Sunday morning, you could have seen a ton of half stone rolled away, ducked down, went inside, smelled the scent of a musty tomb. Smelled the scent of a musty tomb and seen the linen cloth of Jesus laying there. That's why Jesus, Paul said about Jesus, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Friends, you might believe in Jesus. You might not believe in Jesus. But the claims of Christianity are rooted in objective history. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Not only is Christianity rooted in objective history, there are good reasons to believe and know. That Christianity is actually true. The question is, do you love truth? Will you seek truth? Will you follow truth? Even if it costs you something. Because we live in a day where people will easily compromise the truth for personal gain. And we desperately need young people like yourselves, whatever field you go into, to say, I'm not going to compromise truth. I'm not going to go tell everybody how to live their life and try to act in a non-Christian way. I'm going to love people. I'm going to care for people, but I'm going to live and know and not compromise truth. If that is you, God will use you in powerful ways in your generation. Amen. Go for it. Life is exciting and college days are not the best of your life. It's fun, but it even gets a lot better if you're living and following the Lord. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for having me share.